well-regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state? The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad that you've joined me on the program today. Coming up in just a matter of moments, we're going to talk about a new study out from the Ohio State University that purports to show that support for a uh, number of uh, high-profile gun control bills actually much higher than what the polls even show. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with this study? Well, where do we begin? But uh, we'll get to that momentarily. Also coming up, we have uh, today's Armed citizen story. Uh, we have our recidivist report. Uh, we have a good deed from right here in the Farmville, Virginia area, which is uh, where I live and uh, where I uh, come to you from each and every day. I, I always, it's cool when I get to uh, discover a, a local story, and I think you're going to get a kick uh, out of today's good deed of the day. It is Second Amendment adjacent uh, at the very least. But let's get into this new study from the Ohio State University. Uh, here's the uh, headline Americans underestimate public support for key gun policies, and our misrepresentation, or our misperception rather, makes us less likely to speak out on the issue. Yeah, gun control advocates are convinced that vast majorities of Americans, including vast majorities of gun owners, support things like, oh, let's see, in this study, they specifically looked at uh, several policies here. Universal background checks, mandatory waiting periods, and safe storage laws. So in January of 2019, these researchers at The Ohio State University paid for uh, a survey with a sample of 508 adults. Gun owners supposedly represented 30% of the sample. How do we know? We don't. These were self-identified gun owners. Uh, more than 90%, they say, of both gun owners and non-gun owners said they supported universal background checks. About 85% of non-gun owners and 72% of gun owners supported mandatory waiting periods, and 83% of non-gun owners and 63% of gun owners supported safe storage laws. One of the researchers said, quote, the key finding was that despite high levels of support for these policies, most people significantly underestimated support among gun owners. Okay, well, I, I, I have some issues here. Because I would love to know, we don't know the wording of the questions, first of all. And uh, I think it's fair to say that the more people learn about these specific gun control policies and gun control policies in general, the less likely they are to support these measures. For instance, the uh, study talked about support for supposed uh, universal background checks, right? 90%, they say, of gun owners and non-gun owners alike support universal background checks. If that's the case, then why, just a few years ago, when this very issue was put before voters in the state of Maine, was that measure rejected by 52% of the public? That's the last time that I'm aware of that uh, we didn't have a poll on the issue. We had an election on the issue solely on this issue. This wasn't, you know, a Democrat running for election saying they support background checks and a Republican running for election saying they don't support background checks. And that's one issue among many. And the Democrat won. So therefore, people must support universal background checks. No, this was a referendum that was put on the ballot in Maine by gun control groups. Michael Bloomberg spent a lot of money trying to convince Mainers to back universal background checks. And again, that measure went down to defeat, you know, you could say it was close, 52-48. It's not that close. And again, a majority of those voting said no 
to universal background check laws. Why is that? I have a theory. My theory is that these polling questions, like the kind that the Ipsos presented to a random sample of 508 Americans, don't get into the specifics of what enforcement of these laws or these proposed laws would actually look like. You know, in uh, New Mexico last year, they, 2018, they passed a, a universal background check. Uh, in Virginia, earlier this year, we passed universal background checks. I'm not aware of any arrest in either New Mexico or Virginia for violating the state's universal background check law. And do you know why? You probably do, if you're watching here, because you're a gun owner, Second Amendment supporter anyway. There's no way to enforce these laws. There's no way to proactively enforce a universal background check law. Leave aside the constitutional concerns for just a minute. Because you and I both know what those are. But let's just talk practically for a second. Let's talk about why a non-gun owner, for instance, might not be in favor of a universal background check law when they learn more about it. What are we trying to do here? We're trying to, supposedly, we're trying to stop criminals from obtaining guns, right? Well, <laughs> criminals don't care. By their very nature, they don't care what the laws are. They don't care that they're violating a lot. They're criminals. So then it becomes a matter of enforcement. And how do you proactively enforce background checks on private sales of firearms? It's a great question. I've asked it for years. I've yet to get an answer. The real answer is you can't. There's no way to proactively enforce a universal background check law. The best that a universal background check law would do would be uh, a, 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 an after, uh, uh, you know, a charge that could be tacked on after a crime has been committed. Let's say police investigate, they recover a gun, uh, they find that uh, the gun was originally sold to somebody else, they uh, go back and they talk to that original owner, and they say, uh, well, what happened to your gun? Was it stolen? Did you lose it? No, I sold it. Well, do you know that you're supposed to go through a background check? Oh, uh, yeah, you know what, I, I, I didn't. Then they could probably charge that individual with a misdemeanor offense. And that's what it is, a misdemeanor offense. So these, these provisions, like universal background check laws, as popular as they may be, I think it's because Americans don't really know much about these issues. And they, these issues are not explained to poll respondents. Let's talk about a couple of the other uh, uh, agenda items here. Mandatory waiting periods. They say 85% of non-gun owners, 70% of gun owners support mandatory waiting periods. All right. Well, again, what, what, what kind of waiting period are we talking about here? First of all, again, not a fan of any waiting periods. But what did the poll ask? You in favor of a 24-hour waiting period? 72-hour waiting period? 10-day waiting period, as is the case in California? Or did they just leave it open-ended? Are you just in favor of waiting periods? Again, what do these laws do? Supposedly... A waiting period is a cooling-off period, a, a government-imposed cooling-off period, so that if you, let, let's say you're angry, maybe somebody just broke up with you, and you're angry, you want to get back at them. You go and you buy a gun, you don't have a waiting period, you get that gun, you go to their house, and you commit an act of violence. Or let's say you're despondent. Let's say you're depressed. Let's say you have suicidal thoughts. And so you decide to buy a gun. And there's no waiting period, so you buy a gun and you go home and you commit suicide. Do these things happen? Yeah, they do. And I won't deny it. But that's not the only reason 
why somebody might want a gun right away to do harm to somebody else or to do harm to others. Let's go back to that first scenario. Angry ex-boyfriend decides he wants to go buy a gun. Decides he wants to use it to get back at the woman who broke up with him. Well, that woman might want to buy a gun too. Maybe he's threatened her. And she decides that she wants a firearm for personal protection. That waiting period stops her from acquiring a firearm in self-defense. And by the way, her angry ex-boyfriend, well, he might know somebody who has a gun. He might just grab a knife. And because he's likely physically stronger than she is, I said likely, that's not always the case, but likely physically stronger than she is, he might not need a gun to do her serious harm. She, on the other hand, might need a firearm to defend herself. You know, as gun owners, and I haven't talked much about this. We're going to talk about this maybe next week or, or uh, as we get into the new year. I, I think it is critically important. Actually, you know, we did talk about this a, a couple weeks ago with Alan Gottlieb from the uh, Second Amendment Foundation. I think it is critically important that gun owners do what we can to try to reduce suicides with firearms. I think we as Americans need to do what we can to try to reduce suicides overall. But suicides are rising. In fact, non-gun suicides are actually increasing at a faster rate than firearm-related suicides. So the issue of suicide is not one that can be addressed simply by a waiting period for firearms. And again, no matter the good intentions that might be behind a law like this, we just want people to have a cooling off period. We're not trying to ban your gun. We're not trying to stop you from owning one. We just want you to have that cooling off period just so you can make sure that you really want it. Despite those best intentions, good people are hurt by those waiting periods. Now, the last provision that they talked about uh, was um, uh, safe storage laws. 83% of non-gun owners, 63% of gun owners supported safe storage laws. You know, again, as a gun owner, I've got kids in my house. I'm a responsible gun owner. My kids do not have access to my firearms. But that's my choice. And how I've stored my firearms have actually changed over the years. Depending on the age of my kids, the number of their friends that might be going through the house, Strangers, folks that I don't necessarily, I'm not, I'm not nowhere comfortable with. All of that changes how I decide to store my firearm. And a safe storage mandate. Again, what are the specifics? What specifics were asked about in this poll that showed, uh, supposedly showed majority support? Did they get into any specific requirements? Probably not. Again, do you support safe storage laws? We'll leave it as vague as that. Well, Washington, D.C.'s storage law was struck down as unconstitutional in the Heller decision back in 2008. That was a safe storage law, but it required firearms to be locked up, ammunition stored separately, gun had to be disassembled. You could not use that firearm for self-defense in your home. There was no way that you would be able to get to your gun, unlock the safe, assemble the firearm, load it, and then use it to sell the Just hang on just a second. Hang on, Mr. Intruder. I just, hang on. I got to get my, oh, I'm fumbling around here. That's not going to work. Again, I'm all in favor. I, believe me, I am all in favor of responsible gun ownership. But a safe storage mandate is a one-size-fits-all policy that, by the way, may very well criminalize somebody for a nonviolent offense. If you simply stored your firearm improperly under the law, 
but in a way that you were comfortable with. Nobody got hurt, no injuries. You could still be facing criminal charges. And I don't think these things get discussed. You know, among these non-gunners, I would have loved to have seen some control questions too. Such as, do you support the defund police movement? Do you believe that we put too many Americans in jail? I'd love to know the answer to that question among these respondents. Because I also think that there is a disconnect. A lot of times people are asked these questions. Would you support this gun law? Oh yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And again, they're not thinking about the enforcement. They're not thinking about, should we be putting people in prison? Should we be charging them with, with felonies or even misdemeanor crimes uh, for selling a firearm to their best friend that they've known for 20 years without going through a background check? Or for, let's say, buying a gun in the private market, not going through a waiting period because you wanted to be able to protect yourself against your angry ex. I don't think that people think about these things when they are posed these questions in a poll. And I don't think that these researchers accounted for this either. Now, going back to uh, uh, these researchers, one of them said that what's striking is that most gun owners don't realize how much their fellow gun owners support these policies. Yeah, it's good. Again, I, I don't think they really do. What happens when gun owners do find out? Well, the researchers explored that in a second study involving 400 gun owners from across the country. Data collected by YouGov in April 2020. By the way, <laughs> Does anybody remember how freaking awful the polls were during the 2020 election cycle? Does anybody recall how off a lot of these polls were? And now, well, we're going to use two polls. One asking one set of questions, one asking another set of questions. We're going to rely on this as if it's empirical data. It's not empirical data. And there's all kinds of problems in the polling industries right now in terms of getting accurate responses. And it's not just about who you're going to vote for. It's about who's answering these polls in the first place. Anyway, all right, let's go back to this here. Uh, in this second survey, participants were randomly assigned a message that either informed them of the wide gun owner support for universal background checks and mandatory waiting periods or excluded that information. And they said gun owners who were told about the high level of support for these policies among their fellow gun owners expressed stronger private support for these policies than those who were not told. The better informed gun owners, again, note how they're described. The better informed gun owners also reported that they would publicly disclose stronger support for mandatory waiting periods to others. When the researcher says this is important because it shows that if gun owners recognized how strongly their fellow gun owners supported key gun safety policies, they might be more willing to speak out in favor themselves. Peer pressure, in other words. If gun owners think that, uh, you know, everybody else supports these gun laws, they might go along with them. It says nothing about whether or not these laws should be supported. And again, it says nothing about how much information these gun owners were given other than, hey, do you know that a lot of gun owners actually support these gun control laws? Okay, that's not information. <laughs> that's, that's propaganda. Um... All right, one, one more bit here from this study. They say, in the studies with the gun owners and college students, the researchers also tested if learning the true level of support for gun safety policies would affect behaviors. Um, again, we have no idea if this is the true level of support, but I highly doubt it. Simply correcting people's opinion climate on gun policy uh, may not be enough to encourage specific actions like petition signing or donations to advocacy groups. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, so in other words, uh, even if you tell gun owners, hey, you know, everybody else but you supports these things, it, they might be more likely to say, oh, I support it, but they're not more likely to become gun control activists. Uh, the uh, researcher there with the Ohio State University says, quote, our findings shed additional light on how people perceived opinion climates can shape their private and public attitudes towards gun safety policies. More practically, our study suggests that correcting misperceived opinion climates might be a useful strategy for policymakers and advocates in encouraging both private and public support for gun safety policies. In other words, give them more propaganda. Give them more incomplete survey data and then tell them, look, everybody but you supports these things. I think this is junk science. I honestly think this is junk science. And by the way, we shouldn't be setting our laws based on one or two polls that don't give Americans all of the information that they need to come to an informed decision. And that's exactly what these polls do. They don't provide enough information for Americans to come to a complete understanding of the issue, to know everything that's involved and the consequences. And so I don't know how you could draw any conclusions whatsoever from these surveys, because these surveys are not asking the right questions and they're not asking enough questions. But I guess it's good enough for academia. And don't be surprised if uh, this new study from The Ohio State University gets a lot of press attention and a, uh, a lot of uh, opportunities to change people's opinion climates. I don't even know what the hell that means. All right, let's get to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day. Our recidivist report. We'll start there with a story out of Pennsylvania. This guy, Kobe Francis, he is uh, wanted. He is still on the loose. He's uh, charged with shooting a McKeesport, Pennsylvania, police officer. And as it turns out, the 22-year-old, who's now facing charges of attempted homicide, as well as other offenses, was charged with a home invasion just about three years ago. He would have been 19. Kobe Lee Francis, in October of 2017, pleaded guilty to this home invasion in McKeesport, Pennsylvania. And do you know what his punishment was? Don't do that again, Kobe. That's it. Probation. In exchange for admitting guilt to a home invasion, Kobe Francis received two years probation. And then in a separate case in 2019, Francis pleaded guilty to a drug-related offense. He was sentenced to six to 12 months behind bars, followed by more probation. Maybe this is just the inner, inner libertarian in me coming out here, but... How on earth can a guy get jail time for a drug offense and probation for a home invasion? I mean, doesn't that seem like that should be flipped? Like, yeah, Kobe would catch him with a little bit of drugs. Don't do it again. You're on probation. Kobe, you broke into somebody's house. You invaded their home. You, uh, you know, terrified them. Hey, come here. We're going to put you on probation for a couple of years. Don't do that again, man. That's absurd. That's, I mean, that's backwards. But that is the case. Kobe Francis, who should have gone to prison for a home invasion, at least should have spent some time out in bars, did not. Again, now accused of shooting and uh, seriously injuring a McKeesport, Pennsylvania police officer uh, over the weekend. Still on the loose, and uh, we'll give you the updates if he's actually caught here in the near future. Uh, today's armed citizen story from Alabama. Here's the headline. No sh- charges filed in North Birmingham shooting that left two dead. Uh, this uh, comes after a couple-month-long investigation uh, there in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. 
The shooting happened back on November the 10th uh, at an apartment there in Birmingham. Police uh, responded to a report of multiple people shot. When they arrived, they found a 40-year-old man named Derek Williams outside of the apartment. He was pronounced dead on the sidewalk. Inside the apartment, there was a 65-year-old woman, Loretta Frazier, who was also found dead. A male and a female uh, who survived but were shot were taken to UAB Hospital. So police say that the uh, 40-year-old, Derek Williams, was the ex-boyfriend of the woman who survived this shooting. And he went to this apartment, and he opened fire inside the dwelling. The surviving male in that apartment had a gun of his own and was able to return fire, striking Williams and ultimately killing him. According to police, there had been a domestic report filed at the location within 24 hours before the killing. And there had been a history of other domestic-related incidents as well. Investigators presented the case to the Jefferson County DA's office for review. Following uh, that review, the Jefferson County DA's office ruled the shooting survivor's actions justifiable, which is good. Uh, It is a tragedy that uh, Mr. Williams was able to kill someone, wound two others, but because of the actions of that armed citizen, thankfully, two lives at least were saved that day. And finally today, our good deed of the day. From the Farmville Herald newspaper, take a look at this. This is so great. Uh, The Veterans of Foreign Wars post in uh, Buckingham County, which is just to the north of Farmville. Uh, The commander of that VFW post, Victor Moss, was asked to craft a set of rifle racks for the tomb guards at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier at Arlington National Cemetery. In the picture there, you can see a David Ogden, who's another resident of Buckingham County, another uh, a U.S. veteran, along with Captain Joshua Akers and uh, Sergeant First Class Jason Hickman. So how did a guy in rural Virginia end up getting connected to the honor guard there at Arlington National Cemetery, which is about 100 and... Uh, if you're driving it, it's about 150 miles away. It's about three hours or so southwest of Washington, D.C., um, Victor Moss is a veteran. He uh, served two years in the U.S. Army in uh, Vietnam, 71 years of age now. Uh, after he got back from Vietnam, he went into construction work, uh, ultimately retired from the Virginia Department of Transportation. He's got a passion for woodworking. And as it turns out, he um, ended up running into a couple of these Honor Guard members uh, while they were hunting. Another member of the VFW Post in Buckingham County, David Ogden, uh, has a piece of land there in uh, Buckingham County. And there are plenty of guests, including those from Arlington, known to come down to the property during hunting season. That's how uh, David Ogden came into contact with the assistant sergeant of the guard, uh, Alexander Deal. So they get to talking, and uh, Mr. Ogden learned that the uh, tomb guards were in need of a new set of rifle racks to hold their guns. Previous racks which are located in the guards' living quarters, uh, had apparently been there for a while. They were pretty worn out. And uh, Mr. Ogden said, you know what? I think I know a guy. And he reached out to Victor Moss. Uh, Moss says it's kind of a hobby, but sometimes it turns into a job. His most recent project, he uh, took apart a log cabin and rebuilt it on his own property at the age of 71. 
pretty impressive. So after learning what the um, honor guard was looking for, Moss went to work. Uh, wood was donated. He crafted a uh, ornate and detailed set of uh, uh, gun racks. You can actually take a look here. I'll, I'll go ahead and show it to you. There's a, a picture of the uh, racks constructed there by Victor Moss. Project began back in August, um, but the COVID kind of threw some uh, uh, curveballs his way. Uh, however, the racks were recently completed, and they have been transported by Captain Joshua Akers and Sergeant First Class Jason Hickman to the site of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Victor Moss said, you want it to be perfect, you know? He said, I was really worried about the outcome of it, how it would look. He says, my wife tells me I'm my worst critic. And he also says, this means a lot. He says, it really does. It's not just something that comes up every day. He said, for me, it's once in a lifetime for me to be able to do something like this. I've always had a lot of respect for the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, for the guys who are on duty. These guys are out there in the rain, the snow. It doesn't really matter what the weather is. They're going to be walking. They are going to be walking. They are going to be there. And uh, I think it's pretty cool that there's going to be a little part of the Farmville, Virginia area there at the um, Arlington National Cemetery, thanks to the efforts of Victor Moss of Buckingham County, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to build the right thing. We thank you, sir, for your very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as well. We'll be back one more day this week before we uh, take off Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Uh, so be sure to tune in tomorrow for the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube or you can subscribe to Bearing Arms Cam and Company on Rumble. If you want to make sure that you never miss a show. Also available on Amazon Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Whew. So all kinds of places for you to find us. And if you uh, get up bright and early tomorrow morning, East Coast time, you can hear me on WMAL sitting in on the Mornings on the Mall with Mary Walter. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, be free, and we'll see you soon with another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company.